We had a marvellous day yesterday in the Christmas Tree Festival. We're grateful to Pam and Carol and Jane and Claire for making yesterday happen. And you can see the beauty of the trees around me. And uh, I might be getting sensitive. It feels like sometimes they're creeping up against me. And there's someone looking over my shoulder. Maybe they've got remote control units where if I'm going on too long, they all come up against me and usher me out. Um, But be that as it may, we continue to think about Jacob who meets his match. I was talking to my younger son uh, last week uh, about computers, which is always a dangerous thing, isn't it, for someone my age? And um, we were talking about um, the latest generation and, you know, the quad core. Oh, well, that's old hat, isn't it, of course? There's now sort of um, scepter core. And, and all sorts of things that have speed that is incredible as we think about the latest generation of computer power. Or if you think about internet speed, um, I've never thought about living in a house uh, being defined by the location of the internet speed. But this generation, and I kid you not, my, one of my sons would say, where I live, I want one gigabyte of download speed per minute which is very fast, and, uh, and I would not necessarily define my house about the internet speed. It's important, but not that important. And we think about, you know, we're a, a society that finds it very hard to wait. And why do we need computers to be that fast? Why do we need uh, technology uh, to meet our expectations? And you know that I don't survive queues very well, I don't do lines, as the Americans say, very well. And if I see a shop with a long queue, um, I will make a bypass rather than go there. I know my limits. And um, it's part of the story of Advent. And when you think about Simeon and Anna from the New Testament and their 400 years of waiting and the silence of God, uh, we've got, I've got a long way to go in developing patience of the advent and um, I saw an advert it was uh, I think it was last year by one of the famous um, drive-through burger companies um, that, that you could drive through for Christmas and get your Christmas it was called McChristmas so that will give you an idea and <laughs> just drive through and that's your Christmas dinner sorted wow isn't that great no washing up <laughs> no hours of the turkey in the oven hey but um, we're picking up on a story which reflects about the impatience because you remember that Jacob stole Esau's blessing because he was impatient he wanted a race to the top from his uh, older brother and so we're really beginning this story um, where Jacob the deceiver gets outwitted by Uncle Laban. And we suppose that Leah was some kind of defective model of womanhood who should have been subject to a factory recall. And I want to look at that for a bit. Um, but first of all, it's love at first sight. So Jacob had left Bethel And with a lightness in his step, he had a new lease on his life. He had an encounter with God that changed him. And he suddenly began talking about God, not as my father's God, 
But my God, and this is really important for us all, that we have a personal relationship with God. And now Yahweh was Jacob's God, and he'd seen the vision of the ladder of heaven and earth, of the angels ascending and descending, and the the promise of God on his life. And he was revitalized, had fresh vision for the future about God's presence, God's protection, and God's provision. And he had the assurance that he would return to the land of his forefather, Abraham. So with this new sense of direction, a new hope and a new meaning to life, he was going to Haran. And God was with him. And God went with him on his journey. And he came to the land of the sons of the east, as the scripture. He looked, he saw a well in a field And flocks of sheep and stone on the mouth of the well was very large, probably very heavy. They were trying to be expedient. They would only actually remove that well um, once all the sheep were gathered. And then they would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And then the stone would go back in its place on the mouth of the well. And we discover Jacob's impatience once more in this scripture. But we'll come to that in a moment. As he approached Haran, he came upon the well. And Jacob said to these folks, My brothers, where are you from? And we are from Haran. And do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And so the shepherd's response told him he was very near Haran. And that was good news because he'd never been there before. If ever you do any traveling and you're going to uh, a city, remember GPS was not around at that time and Google Maps didn't exist at that time and nor did the AA or the REC printed maps exist either. So this was a really an act of faith when you were traveling and there were milestones to look for. And so they, he encountered the shepherds and he had expectation that he was on the right tracks and very excited to meet his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, his uncle. And to Jacob's relief, Laban was doing well. More than this, he had a daughter who was to arrive at the well soon. So he was finally getting to a significant point in his destiny. And behold, it is still high day, he said to them. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered? Water the sheep and go and pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered. And they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. You see, that was the custom. We love our traditions, don't we? We love our ways of doing things. And uh, we've always done it that way. I love asking the question. And I'm finding out in different organizations I'm with, why do you do what you do? Oh, because we've always done it that way. Well, who, was, who started doing it? And it's been fascinating, even in this church, who started some of the things that go back 50 years, which is really exciting and interesting. But the sheep would not be gathered in for the night until much later. This was like high noon. It made little sense for Jacob and these shepherds sitting about the well waiting until later when they were going to water the sheep. And so he decides to take some action after meeting Rachel. And the shepherds were not impressed with him. 
by his question, well, why do you wait? And about their lack of care of the sheep, it seemed. Anyway, Rachel arrives with her father's sheep, and she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother's brother, he went up, he rolled the stone. This was high noon, not later in the day. He changed the traditions and he watered the flock. And then he kissed, he greeted a handshake, a a hug to his uh, cousin and lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative. And this meeting, this encounter, sets the stage for the next phase of their relationship. And God brings people into our lives for a purpose. And there are significant people who bless us. And we, we prayed earlier about those supernatural moments in our own lives when we think about ministers or we think about other Christians um, I'll never forget, actually, it doesn't have to be a Christian. I remember when um, my car broke down on the way to uh, Durban Airport in South Africa. And uh, I needed to get that plane. And so there was I sitting in this, and I, in this old Nissan saloon with I could see the um, thing sticking out the bottom of the engine, uh, the crankshaft, and uh, prayed. And who turned up this amazing, very generous... Muslim man who picked us off the highway and then we took us to the airport so that we could then catch the flight back to Europe. And God brings people into our lives who can bless us and strengthen us. So seven years till the wedding, we move on in 29, Genesis 29, verse 13 to 20. So Rachel ran home with a report of meeting Jacob and then Laban came to the response. And he heard the news, he was so excited because they didn't have telephones, they didn't have computers, they didn't have pigeons uh, of communicating how was his sister. And he embraced his nephew, he kissed him, he brought him into the house. And then he told Laban all these things. And Laban said, surely you are my bone, my flesh. And he stayed with me for a month. Primarily, Laban would have wished to know about how was his sister Rebecca. I think that Jacob probably would have shared about the events which led to his journey to Padam Aram, his deception of his father for the father's blessing. And Jacob's month-long stay with Laban had at least two results. First, he brought Jacob and Rachel into close contact and helped to kindle a deep affection for one another. Jacob now had a reason to stay with Laban. And as for Laban, this month proved Jacob to be a valuable asset, a hard worker who possessed nothing but the promise of future wealth and blessing to his family. He was a good worker. He would make a fine son-in-law and could stay on in place of a traditional dowry. Now Laban had two daughters and there was Leah, the oldest, and Rachel, And the scripture records Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. I think in the scriptures, few women have been misunderstood as Leah. Even her name does her a great disservice. Do you know what it means? It is not a very complimentary name. 
I don't know if you've called any of your daughters this, wild cow. (laughs) Who's nodding? And um, the statement that she had weak eyes in verse 17 seems to portray that uh, she's a homely girl with the pot bottle glasses who cannot see three feet in front of her. And this kind of thinking is unjustified. First, the word rendered weak in Hebrew is rak, and it's never used in a demeaning way. It's here suggested, never is the term used with reference to any defect. For example, in Genesis 18, verse 7, Moses uses this word, and he uses the word tender. So Leah was tender. She was probably very soft-hearted and very sensitive. And if we're to take the word on rak, this Hebrew, which means weak, um, in 29 verse 17, in its normal sense, we cannot think in terms of defect, but she was a delicate woman. In contrast with Rachel, who may have had fire or sparkle in her eyes, Leah had gentle eyes. The term eyes, strange as it may seem, this word used for the physical organ of sight, often refers to in the Bible much more than physical eye. It depicts one's character. When you look into someone's eyes, they would say in Hebrew times, you could look into someone's character. The window of their soul would be another expression. Just as the kidneys, believe it or not, in Scripture... You're going to think about your kidneys in a new way. Refers to human emotions and thoughts. It's the Greeks who moved our emotions to the heart. The Hebrews had our emotions in our kidneys. And when you think about the kidneys, that's quite an appropriate thing. Kidneys are a filtering, flushing system. The good and the bad. Emotion, thought. What directs us? Is it just emotion or is it just thought? Hopefully it's both. So now Jacob loved Rachel. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. And Labor's response was very positive and very cunning and vague. It is better that I give, you, give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So he served seven years. It went just like that, a man in love. And immediately after those seven years, he asked for Rachel's hand in marriage. And so Jacob was in a romantic state of ecstasy. And the point of verse 20 is that Jacob was willing to pay the price. He was agreeing to the pay for the prize of her life as a wife. And Laban gathered all the men of that place and made a feast. And the weddings there weren't the kind of weddings where you'd walk down the aisle. There would be a veil over the face. There would be a feast, but you wouldn't see that woman's face until you went into the marital suite. And by that time, probably Jacob had had a few sherbets, and (laughs) he was on his way. (laughs) And he was given, notice that Leah was given uh, a maid, such as the care of the parents. But then Rachel discovers the trick that's been formed. But of course, 
Laban reminds them of custom. What have you done to me, says Jacob? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? And Laban comes back. It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. There's a good lawyer for you. Stick to the facts. Complete the bridal week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve another seven years. Wow, what a smart operator Laban is. Does Jacob meet his match? And Jacob did so, and he completed his week, uh, the week, and then he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And then the family give another maidservant, Bilhah, to the younger daughter Rachel. And the end result is that he's married both daughters off, Laban has. He's managed to get a premium price for both, and Jacob ended with two wives rather than one. He worked twice as hard to get what he desired. So what do we learn from all of this? How do we sum this up? I think fewer passages contain more lessons for living than this chapter. I think the first thing I want to share is there are consequences of sin. Previously, we've noted that one of the consequences of the sin of Jacob's deceiving Isaac was his physical and emotional separation. When he breached that trust with his father and his brother, it split the family, those who loved him. And the moral parallel to Newton's law of motion Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. In our Lord's words, all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. And Jacob learned the sad lessons that those who seek to deceive shall be deceived. There is one striking difference between the consequences of sin today and those of Jacob's time. Our sins, like his, separate us from God now and eternally. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we who are sinners cannot help ourselves. We cannot save ourselves, but we trust in the work done for us through Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's by trusting him in faith, in his death, his resurrection, his substitution, his righteousness, that we can experience the blessings of God now and in eternity. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, says the Apostle Paul, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are consequences to our actions. Secondly, we discover the grace of God. Some may view the events of this chapter as God getting even with Jacob. Others would merely interpret them as a kind of poetic justice. I think I prefer to see this story, this Event as evidence of the marvellous grace of God to work in the life of Jacob. Because he was prepared to put 14 years in for these two women in his life. God did not bring these events to pass to punish Jacob, but to instruct him. 
Punishment has to be borne by a saviour on a cross. Discipline is what we see here, of corrective training, which furthers us on the path of leading to godliness. This is what we see in Jacob's life. We see this honing, this holiness that's going on within his life. And so Jacob learned the value of convention, the agreement which regulated the use of the well. And he he was very denying of it to begin with. Uh, Because of the excitement of meeting Rachel, he was unconventional by removing the stone in the high noon. And he decided to do it regardless of the rules for its use. He may also have disregarded some conventions in the way he greeted Rachel. He certainly chose to disregard the convention of marrying the firstborn daughter. But I don't think Laban was telling Jacob anything new but reminding him of something that could not and should not be taken lightly or disregarded. And Jacob experienced the grace of God in that delay of the seven years and then the second seven years. It was this delay that contributed to the preservation of Jacob's life by being kept away from the anger of Esau, his brother, who was purposed to kill him. And so God was weaving his grace into Jacob's life. And amazingly, the grace of God was manifested in this event by the gift of Leah, a wife to Jacob. Why was it a gift? Why was she a gift and not Rachel? Because Leah became the mother of Judah, who was to be the heir through whom none other than our Messiah was born, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And what about Levi? The priestly tribe of God was the son of Leah, who provided so much. And it seems noteworthy that both Leah and her handmaid had at least twice the number of children compared to Rachel. So God's grace was on her. The firstborn was always to have double portion, and so it would be so for Leah. One final factor remains which evidences the superiority of Leah to Rachel. Rachel dies at an early age, and yet she was the younger sister. And when she died, she was buried on the way to Bethlehem. Yet when Leah died later, she was buried with Jacob in the cave at Mark Pethaleth. Leah was not a blight to Jacob, but a blessing to him. Two other things. So we have the grace of God, we've got the consequences of sin, but guidance. To me, there's no doubt that what Jacob was guided more by was his hormones than any other factor in this story. He did not pray about this matter as far as we're told. He didn't give any consideration to the matters of character and weigh up about who he should marry. He didn't even seek counsel from other people. In fact, he sought to overturn the customs of the day and the preferences of Laban. And we live in a very romantically driven society. I'll never forget when I met a Christian family uh, as part of IJM in India and the, the mother said to me, oh, was your marriage by romantic love? And I'd never thought about um, marriage being other than that. 
And I met her two sons. Her two sons were amazing young men in their sort of mid-twenties, trained professionals who were serving with IJM. And, um, and they both said to me, all Christians said, no, I, I want my parents to arrange the marriage, our marriage. And there's a lot of common sense in that because who knows us best of all? Our mother and our father. And if you're decent people, you will have a good idea who's going to be a fit for your son or your daughter. So romanticism led Jacob to choose Rachel, not Leah. And romanticism controlled Jacob under its spell the entire night with the wrong woman. And so we must beware emotional decisions which lead just to feeling-based decisions. We need to seek the guidance of God through the word of God, through the counsel of saints, through the Holy Spirit. Finally, I want to talk about beauty. And actually, Cole talked about uh, this this morning, about our society looking at all things beautiful. I saw Ricky Gervais um, at the Golden Globes before all these actors and actresses and saying, you look beautiful. All this cosmetic surgery is amazing how it's made you beautiful. And I'm going to share what you already know, but it's worth reminding ourselves that few things are as important to some women today as beauty. Perhaps nothing is more important to men today than physical beauty. Rachel was a wonderfully endowed woman, There is nothing wrong with that. Sarah was beautiful, so was Rebecca. But outward beauty must always be considered against a really important thing. Jacob looked at Rachel's exterior, and he should have investigated further into her character. The writer, King Lumel, was not in error when he gave this counsel. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And we find the same theme is prominent in the New Testament. Men and boys, this is a word for us. Let us look first for character. And if we find it, let us look no further. If we find character with charm and beauty, let us consider ourselves fortunate. Our ultimate worth For us all, male and female, comes from God. And those of you who have children and grandchildren, particularly uh, girls, wear makeup and their looks. I've got nieces and nephews where the, the peer pressure is enormous upon them to be beautiful. God was not impressed with Rachel's good looks. After all, he gave that to her in the first place. God looked upon the heart and blessed Leah. Her worth, while never fully realized by her husband, was great in the eyes of God. And I think for us in the church, finally, we need to learn to be content with ourselves as the way God made us. And may we find our real worth in the realm of the Holy Spirit. These words are very important for us in a cosmetically driven society. I don't know if you've seen the L'Oreal advert, because you're worth it. 
We live in an entitled generation, and that advert in, just reflects it in many ways, because you deserve it, you're worth it. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as men sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let's pray together. Father God, may we be those who find favour in your sight. May we know the peace and the acceptance, self-acceptance of the love of Christ. Your word says, love our neighbours as we love ourselves. And there are many in our church, Lord, who doubt themselves, who don't love themselves, who lack esteem. And we pray, Holy Spirit of God, you pour your holy love into their hearts, that they would know that their Heavenly Father cherishes them, And Lord, if that's us this evening, we pray that your love will grant us that joy as children receiving a great gift. May our eyes sparkle because we are accepted, forgiven and loved eternally by you. Thank you, Lord, that we can be an accepting church, that we look for character, for truth, We look for humility and love. May we be those who never decide on the person by their looks or their bank accounts, but those who are in Christ, a brother or sister. And so this week, Lord, we pray that you'll give us eyes to see as you see people around us. Give us eyes to see as we cast our vote in the election this week. Give us eyes to see those who are hurting and to reach out with a word of care, with a private prayer of healing. Give us eyes to see where those who need encouragement from you. This we ask in the great encourager's name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.